Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Fellowship Podcast. We hope this message will inspire, challenge, and encourage you to grow closer to Christ. If you're in the Anchorage area, we invite you to be our guest during our morning Sunday worship service at 11 a.m. For directions, or if you would like more information about us, please visit akmaranatha.com. You've ever experienced uh, the challenge of walking with God through times of difficulty or dryness? Um, then I think there's a word for us in Psalm 84, and uh, it's interesting to me how the the songs kind of lined up with where we were wanting to go. It always it always does that, and I know I uh, stress a little bit about I want to make sure I'm hearing from the Lord in preparation for messages, and uh, I don't know what it looks like at Zach's house. He seems to always have it all together, right? But uh, <laughs> but I'm sure that he's concerning himself with, I want to hear from God in preparation for the worship service. And, and the Lord, um, though we didn't communicate about that, personally, me and Zach, me and the Lord did, but Zach and the Lord did, but uh, he's able to bring those things together. And so I, I think in that, we ought to understand that he's also, with that, is overseeing all of our lives. So it's not just him working between me and Zach to get the the right theme for for a service, but certainly uh, he's working within us to prepare us because he knows where we're at. Um, as a pastor, unfortunately, I can't know where everybody is at at any moment, you know, in terms of their walk with God or what they're struggling or going through. There are times that the Lord ch- uh, challenges my heart, puts somebody on my heart for prayer or for a discussion or something like that, but he knows, and he's the good shepherd. He's the great shepherd, and so if, uh, if this word is for you today, receive it and respond to it as God would have you to, all right? All right, let's look at Psalm 84. Notice uh, the title here before we even get into verse 1 for the music director on the Giddeth, which is maybe some kind of musical arrangement. A Psalm of the Sons of Korah, okay? How lovely uh, are your dwelling places? I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible from 2020. How lovely are your dwelling places, Lord of armies. My soul longed and even yearned for the courtyards of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for the joy to the living God. The bird also has found a house and the swallow a nest for herself where she may put her young. Your altars, Lord of armies, my King and my God, blessed be those, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Selah. Blessed is the person whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the roads to Zion. Passing through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The early rain also covers it with blessings. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them appears before God in Zion. So let's talk about this psalm a little bit, because I think as we um, go through our journey of faith and we're walking with God, we experience times of highs and lows and I think that's true for everybody, uh, even for Jesus. You remember he prayed on the Mount, uh, Mount of Olives in Gethsemane. He prayed, uh, let this cup pass. Before he did that, he said, my soul is disquieted. My soul is uh, overwhelmed even to the point of death. So as he's following the Lord. He's trusting, uh, he's trusting the Father. He's trusting, he's relying upon the Holy Spirit. Uh, he still found times where, Life was low, and I remember Paul writing in Second Corinthians chapter three and four, and he talks about how we we despaired even of life itself. 
sometimes we get this triumphalistic view that life in God is always going to be lived somewhere on cloud nine and we're never going to have bad days. And I just don't think that's true to what Scripture says. I think Scripture shows that there are moments when we go through difficulties. We go through times of difficulties. And, and if you're living on cloud nine, rejoice in that. Be really glad for where you're at. Thank God for that. But also come to understand that there may be times when we go through fiery trials, and we need to understand that we may go through times of difficulty where it feels that God is distant. And remember, we don't live by our feelings. We live by faith. So is God distant when he feels distant? No, he's not. We may feel that he's distant. But nevertheless, there are trying and difficult times. And this psalm was written to address that. We didn't read through the whole thing. There's more to it than this, but... Um, they're writing something related to the pilgrimages that Israel would take during the Old Testament wandering. And it, it puts for us kind of a, a picture of, of living the Christian life. So back then, they had three annual pilgrimages that they took. They, they, their primary one would have been Passover. And they also had Pentecost, and they had the Feast of Booths or Weeks, whatever you would uh, choose to call it, however you would uh, designate that one. But these were three pilgrimages where the men were supposed to go to Jerusalem to gather together as the people of God. And as they went, there were challenges in getting back to the place where, where uh, God's temple was. Now, God's temple was seen in the Old Testament view of things as the epicenter of his presence for all mankind. And so people were, were going towards, in one sense, the presence of God. But get this, even back in the Old Testament, God was not just the God of Mount Zion. He's the God without borders. It says it, I think, in Micah chapter 1, verse 5, great is the Lord beyond the borders of Israel. He's big even beyond Israel's borders. Like a lot of nations had their, their view or their theology of God would have been that his influence stopped at the borders of that nation. Not so with the God of Israel. That his God, he was the, the God of the whole earth. But they saw this journey as journeying towards God. It was a picture, a, a metaphor for what walking the life of faith looked like. And so... Um, we should know a little bit about the background. I had, you, I had us read the introduction to this on purpose because this, this plays into it a little bit. I'd like you to notice that this psalm is written by the sons of Korah. Okay? Did you know that David didn't write all the psalms? Did you know that? I hope he did because he wrote a lot of really, really good ones. Uh, but we also have uh, Asaph and we have, um, we have Moses writing some psalms. I think Jeremiah might have written a psalm in here. We have uh, David, of course, and we have the sons of Korah. And that's kind of a, an interesting one as we look at their history. Uh, you want to know something about, you'd want to know something about them if you're going to understand this psalm. The first and I think most important thing that we would want to know about them is that they're Levites. So as they're writing these psalms, it's, it's like they, uh, they understood what it was like to be around the house of God. Okay, so... This, these are the temple workers. They're not the priests, per se, and, and that is important because it comes up in just a moment. But they are, they are Levites. The, the priests were a subclass of Levites that were from the lineage of Aaron. Okay? The rest of the Levites, and Aaron was a Levite, the rest of the Levites, they served temple functions. Okay? And uh, one of the things that the Levites are known for, excuse me, the sons of Korah are known for in particular, is being gatekeepers to the house of God. See that in First Chronicles chapter nine, I think verse nineteen, that they were they were gatekeepers to the house of God that that guards the comings and goings. They watch over what's happening there. So, being around the things of God 
can lead to familiarity with the things of God, and that can be both good and bad. Okay? I don't know if you knew this, but um, it, maybe you remember the story in the Old Testament of them moving the Ark of the Covenant on the cart. Anybody remember that story? So they're moving it. David uh, has this renewed interest that we need to get the Ark of the Covenant into the city of David so that we can establish the place of worship there. The tabernacle had been without it for, I think, 80 years, something like that. And so he's like, we need to get this back. And so they put it on a cart. That's not how the Bible said they should carry it, right? And so as they're moving it, the ox cart stumbles. The Ark of the Covenant starts to tip over. And a guy that we don't really know that much about named Uzzah reaches up to touch it. And he's dead just like that. He's struck dead. And what maybe we hadn't known from the background is that the Ark of the Covenant had been in his house, the house of his father, for about 30 years. Did you know that? And so there's a familiarity about it, that like this is a piece of furniture that he's familiar with. Remember, You remember that it, it, I think, I can't remember the, his dad's name at the moment, but they got blessed in their house big time because the Ark of the Covenant was there. But at a certain point, maybe he stopped seeing it for what it represented. And he reached up like he would, you or I would, a couch that's falling off a cart and touched it. And that was not prohibited. And so familiarity, one of the dangers of familiarity is that we can breed irreverence if we're not careful. We can become irreverent about the things of God. And so that's one of the dangers is that on the negative side is that we can become irreverent. I'll talk more about that in a moment. But the good side of familiarity is that being around the house of God, we're not talking about us and now we're back to the the um, the Korah, Korahites or the sons of Korah. Being around the presence of God uh, allowed them to experience great moments in God's presence. I don't know if you grew up in church or not, but I can remember as a little boy uh, going to church and experiencing the presence of God in a way that I felt. You know, we're singing song. <laughs> I've told you this before, and it's a little corny now, but my favorite song was Jehovah Jireh. We would sing Jehovah Jireh, and as a little boy, I'd weep. I couldn't explain it. We were feeling that we were sensing the presence of God in that place, and uh, it changed me. And seeing people gather around the altar, seeing my mom worship, I was probably the biggest nuisance outside the devil for my mom to true worship. <laughs> Mom, mom, mom. I needed to get her attention. Most of the time she could just block it out because she, she had that capacity. But uh, being around all of that gave me a familiarity with God being able to do great things. And I always knew, even before I was really, really committed to the Lord, that that I was going to live the life believing and knowing that God could do miracles. Because I'd seen it happen. I'd seen people touched by God. I'd seen healings take place. I'd seen God come down. Remember we, we read early, rend the heavens and come down. It's as if that barrier between heaven and earth is torn and God reaches down into our lives. And, and he can do that now. The only blockade to that is us. If we don't want him to. If we hold him at a distance and say, no, I don't, I don't want that from you, God, because it's too dangerous to my selfhood. I might have to change. I might have to be different. And so we block him from doing that. But there was this familiarity that, that caused them to know the, the presence of God. And you find in many of the Psalms of uh, the sons of Korah, this longing for God. You know, one of them that you probably didn't know that Korah wrote, Psalm 40, uh, sons of Korah. Korah's gone. We'll talk more about that in a second. 
The sons of Korah wrote Psalm 42. As the deer pants for water, so my soul longs for you, O God. When shall I appear before God? When can I come and stand before God? Then, why are you downcast, my soul? Sons of Korah wrote that. Hope in God, for I will yet praise him. Okay, so these guys were rich psalm writers. I think of them as some kind of psalm writing family that's extra talented, you know. They're a psalm writing guild, a song guild for the things of God. I'll talk more about those songs in just a second. But as I said, the second thing is this, uh, that we know the sons of Korah for is... um, because of the because of their father Korah, their 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 ancestor Korah, he he put a mark against their name. I don't know if you remember, and I won't read this, but Numbers chapter sixteen talks about Korah's rebellion, and it seems to center on this: that Korah, being a Levite, felt that it was unfair that Aaron and his descendants got to offer incense to God and not him. Like he's he's he's, which I think probably is coming from a mixed motive, like it's a good thing and a bad thing. He wants to do more for God, but he also wants it to be him that does more for God. Do you you understand? It's like when I gave my confession at chapel so that I could start a revival. (laughs) Remember? It's kind of like that. (laughs) I had to bring that up again. That is so painful every time I think of it. But you can you can see that here that Korah is saying this is what we want to do, and so he's got a group of about two hundred and fifty rebels with him that are doing that. And Moses takes a very humble approach, and he says, "All right, you think you should offer incense to the Lord? God has told me that you're to come and stand before the tent of meeting at this particular time, and then you can offer your incense, and we'll let God decide whether this is the right thing or not." And they did, and the earth opened up and swallowed Korah and his conspirators that are with him. Not his children, not all of his children, because obviously we have sons of Korah that are writing songs in the future. So it wasn't the whole family being wiped out, but it was Korah and some of his co-conspirators that were, God rebuked them for their irreverence, that they didn't recognize that God had placed a special emphasis or a special responsibility upon Aaron and his sons for that reason. And so what this says to me that's really interesting is even though the parent had a mark against them, we see the children still being used in mighty ways for God. I think that has broad application, don't you? That I don't know where you've come from. Some have grown up in church and you've got a rich legacy of following God and some have not. Maybe your parents were even anti-God. That doesn't mean God can't use you in big ways. You understand that? The sons of Korah were used in this way. And so they became this, this songwriting guild, these, this talented family of psalm writers. We're usually not drawn out to one particular name of who wrote the psalm. It's just the sons of Korah. Maybe they all worked together. Somebody played the tambourine. Somebody played the spoons. Somebody played the banjo. And somebody sang, and they all came up with these songs that we're still singing today. You want to know what they are? Psalm 42, as the deer pants for the water. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth be removed and the mountains be carried to the midst of the sea. Psalm 47, clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph, sons of Korah. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, the the mountain of his holiness. Beautiful for situation, Psalms uh, of the sons of Korah. How lovely is your dwelling place, Psalm 84, which we just read. Revive us, O Lord, Psalm 85. Revive us, O Lord. And Psalm 87, all my fountains are in you. They've got beautiful 
songs and beautiful imagery that they put forward as they call us into a deeper life with God. And, and one of the things that constantly stands behind the sons of Korah in their psalm writing is longing. Okay? And I would suggest to you that longing goes hand in hand with going through dry spells in our walk. That part of what is, it is taking place is that our dry spells may actually be the symptom of longing for more of God. That we need Him. We need more of Him. That if you're going through a moment where things seem dry, there could be a couple things going on. One thing that has often happened is that sometimes we have a wrong ideal of what the Christian life is like. We think the Christian life, we should always be like feeling some kind of thing. You know, was that descriptive enough for you? <laughs> feeling something like uh, uh, euphoria all the time. And I can tell you from experience, and most people that I know, if you're an exception to this, I beg your pardon. But most people I know don't live like that. We live in the, we live in the real world, and there, there are good days and bad days. But we're trusting the Lord. And we, we still can have joy, and we can still have peace. But we still got to pay our taxes. Bummer, I had to bring that up, right? So there are things like that, but I think that's one explanation. The other explanation is that we go through times and perhaps our energy is running low because we haven't sought God to fill us up again. Okay? We, we need him to fill us again. We need him to do those things. And part of the uh, New Testament exhortations is to, to yearn for that, to yearn for more of God, to, to earnestly seek the gifts of the Spirit, to ask for him to fill us again. We see it in Acts chapter 4. Lord, you've seen the threats. You've seen, will you, will you pour out your Spirit upon us that we may speak the word with boldness? And God filled them again. And we need that. We need to come to him and receive again and uh, be brought from our, these dry spells that we have. So this, uh, this psalm, it shows us how important God's presence is to the sons of Korah and for us. For them, the presence of God was to be found at the house of God. And, and they understood that because they're around that. And it's a great testimony that those who served at the house of God the most should have a greater desire for God because that's not always the case. Sometimes you find that people who are around the ministry, it's like they've looked behind the curtain in The Wizard of Oz and saw the man standing there pulling the levers. You know what I mean? There's a temptation, there's a possibility we can see the man side of things and, and forget to see the God side of things. Because people are flawed. And, you know, if you follow me around 24 hours a day, you'll be a little bit disappointed. Like, this is the pastor? <laughs> and I, I don't mean that like in a sinful way. I just mean that life's pretty ordinary, like yours. What makes anything great you know, is God's presence in us. We have this treasure, jars of clay, terracotta pots, if you will, <clears throat> from Walmart. You know you know what I'm getting at? That life's pretty ordinary on the outside, but the treasure rests on the inside and it works itself out. And there's a beauty that can come from all of that. So this this to me is a great testimony. These guys writing this song saying the presence of God is important. It's our strength. What does it take to keep us from beginning, getting too familiar with God's presence? Well, I think part of it is if uh, we come and we go through the ritual without fully committing ourselves to God, 
uh, and we do this whole thing half-heartedly, it's going to get old real fast. You know what I mean? We've, we've been talking a little bit about um, going through ritual without heart. Like, if you come here and you sing the songs, wonderful as they are, listen to the message, hope, hope it's good. Um, and you do all of that, but your heart is kind of only halfway committed, it's going to get old. And if you're finding it's getting old, I would, I would use that as an indicator to check where is my heart? Because I can guarantee I've been in ministry long enough to know that the driest sermon can be preached. And somebody who's on fire for God is getting something out of it. You know what I mean? If we're hungry for God, we, we find food. Right? So, I, th- I think the other side of it's true, too, is that sometimes I've been in services where somebody else has been preaching. It's the best sermon. I'm like, man, that was powerful. That was awesome. Eh, that's the response you get. How can that be? It really often comes down to where our heart is at. Okay, Because what God has for us is great resources. I was trying to think of a, a picture of that, and here's two pictures that I come up with. Maybe one of them will catch you if, if one doesn't. So imagine UPS showing up your door with a great big package. Have you ever had that happen? A, fr- a refrigerator or something big, and you're like, I'm only going to open the door this much. Like, go ahead and bring it on in. And Why won't you get it in here? Why can't you set it in here? And you're holding the door. you got your foot behind it, blocking it. And only, What about this? This is another image, and I like this one better. Trying to eat pizza through a funnel. Can you imagine that? A little one, not the big funnels. My mom used to have this big orange one with a handle on it. But we've got this little bitty one that we use to filter... Um, I don't even want to bore you with it. Vinegar into a container. Anyway, little, okay? Can you imagine trying to eat pizza through that or anything or steak or anything wonderful, trying to get it through a narrowed container, a bottleneck of sorts? And that's often what we've done with the presence of God is we said, God, I want you, I want you, I want you, I want more of you, but I'm only going to allow you to come into my life this much. So we've bottlenecked and we've not let his presence in. And if nothing else comes from this message, hear this, you will have the amount of God's presence in you that you will allow. Okay? And I don't mean in the sense of his indwelling presence. He indwells every believer. I'm talking about in the sense of perhaps his manifest presence or his, the presence of his face that we might, we might uh, understand where he's revealing himself to us. It's not... It's not just about existing with the presence of God. It's about living in the presence of God in a way that can overwhelm. And so his presence, if we're just half-hearted, may not, we may not be uh, able to live this life with joy. And so if it gets old, it's probably because, or it could be because we're settling for something while being promised something more. His presence is, is uh, life and strength and joy. And the Holy Spirit can fully bring those into our lives, but not if the door is half open, you know. And so I think what Korah has in mind, the sons of Korah, I should say, if I say Korah, will you just substitute with your uh, spell check? <laughs> you find and replace in your mental uh, space there, the sons of Korah. That's what I mean, okay? So what they're after is, sh- is showing uh, Israel that this is, how we, this is how we go after God. And... Uh, some of these psalms that Korah wrote are called maskels, maskels. They don't know exactly what this word means in Hebrew, but maskel, it means something like um, 
harmony with with a message. Something like uh, an educational song. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Like the ABCs. You know the ABC song? Okay. And when I learn the books of the Bible, I learn them with a song. Anybody else do that? You know? Uh, you can do it to William Tell's Overture or something else if you like. But you can learn in that way. And a lot of the psalms that are here are written in order to be educational, like to give wisdom through song. We don't often think of that. We're like, we sing songs mindlessly sometimes. And, and we do that as a culture that is secular. And so we have these songs that are out there. There is secular songs. They don't really have anything to do with, with things in life. But... Um, Songs in Israel would have been religious folk songs where they would have been geared towards the things of God. They would have taught something about God or they would have remembered something about God. And part of the reason for that is so that God was always in a person's imagination. We need to always have him in our imagination. We can't always be the kind of people that have God in the forefront. Sometimes we're filling out forms for our taxes. Let's just bring that up again. Use that painful example. Uh, we're not thinking necessarily direct thoughts about God. Uh, is that okay to say that without sounding backslidden? Nobody's going to reaffirm me in that. God, forgive me. Help me. Think about you when I'm doing my taxes. <laughs> but you know that he's always, we're always, we always have him on our mind in one way or another. We're, we're always living in light of him even if it's not the direct focus of our thoughts. But here, that's what Korah is trying to do. And so in verse 5, let's look at verse 5. We're just going to deal with these uh, three verses, verse 5, 6, and 7. Blessed is the person whose strength is in you, whose heart are the, in whose heart are the roads to Zion. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. And Wednesday night, we're concluding, next week we'll be concluding, the Beatitudes. Beatitudes are those, those blessed things, those, those phrases that start with blessed or blessed. And this is one of those, actually. There's an Old Testament Beatitude that you're blessed if you find your strength in the Lord. Are you with me? Okay, if you find your strength in the Lord. The interesting thing about this word strength is it's closely related to the word for stronghold. Okay, you know what a stronghold is? What's an example of a stronghold? A fort, a castle. A place that you go, a strong tower, a high tower, sometimes it's, it's called a place where you go for refuge. And so when it talks about strength here, it's closely related to this. And probably the whole concept moves from the actual stronghold, which is more concrete, to the more abstract idea of strength. Okay, So when you picture stronghold in your mind or something like that, you probably picture something like a castle, I imagine. Okay? But when you picture strength... The variety of what comes to mind, if anything does, it's an abstract idea, right? We're not thinking, of, maybe we're thinking of Arnold Schwarzenegger or something like that, or uh, maybe just a picture, like an emoji of an arm with a muscle or something. But usually it's, it's more abstract. You, are you following what I'm saying? It's moving from the picture, the actual thing in the world, to the idea. And so as we talk about God being strong, we're talking about him being the stronghold for those who are trusting in him, and that by resting in his strength, we ourselves become strong in him. Paul's, uh, Paul's uh, challenge to the church at Ephesus was be strong in the Lord and in his might, right? That we're trusting in him, we're resting in his strength and his might. 
So the Lord then is the stronghold of the people who trust in him. That's what this is saying in verse 5. Blessed is the person whose strength is in you, whose stronghold is the Lord. Okay, the Lord then is the stronghold of the people who trust in him. So if you're trusting in God today, he's your stronghold. And sometimes we have to remind ourselves about that. I was thinking about this earlier. We were singing that song about when I'm afraid, you are with me. Sometimes we need to sing that reminding ourselves that I'm afraid right now. I need to remember that he's with me. Okay, and so we rely upon that. And so the Lord is the stronghold of the people that trust in him. He is a refuge to those who look to him. You know, the thing about strongholds in the actual world is that most of them are static. They're not moving strongholds. They're static. They stay in one place. The castle doesn't move that much, right? And so that's kind of interesting because that's a place we run to. Most of the strongholds are static, but God is on the move. We would call that Dynamic. God is dynamic. He's on the move. He's a God who is on the move. And so our refuge travels with us, right? Makes God's people strong on the go. It's like being in a tank in a way. (laughs) That's kind of the idea. Tanks are more vulnerable than castles probably, but it's a moving stronghold. We're moving in the presence of God as, as he is our stronghold and our security is him. But we have to keep coming to his presence. You, you might think that I mean coming to church. That's not exactly what I mean. We, we should come to church because there's an aspect of his presence that we have here that we don't have when we're alone. Okay? I don't mean to defraud you of your private worship time. But there's something that happens collectively that doesn't happen when we're by ourselves. Okay? I don't... I would love to take time to justify that, but I would just ask you to think about it, okay? There is something that happens by ourselves, if, if this helps, that doesn't happen when we come together. We need to have both. It's not either or. It's both, okay? So this is really important. The sons of Korah would have seen this as we need to go and stand in the presence of God and receive from God. And we, we, do. we do. We do need to do that here because one of the benefits of being in the body of Christ is that when we're not feeling it, other people are, they can encourage us. Like, you're down. Somebody else over there is going to have that annoying smile that you can't stand at this moment. And they're going to come over and probably encourage you. And you're going to have to give up that oh-so-good self-pity. You know what I mean by oh-so-good? Because self-pity can feel kind of good sometimes. But you've got to give that up. And you know that with discipline, that's possible at any time. But we don't always like to discipline ourselves. My mom used to say to me, you better quit crying or I'm going to give you something to cry about. Anybody else? Where did they learn that from? They all learned it from the same book, I guess. I'll give you something to cry about. Well, that just made me cry a little bit more, I think. Uh, But I guess the point here, if I can get back to my thought. I guess the the point here... um, well, let's just move right on. He is, he's the one that gives us strength in all of this. And uh, we, oh, the strength of coming together is this, is that when you haven't prayed for this particular service, somebody else has. You might not have said, God, meet me in this place, but somebody else has. Somebody else has said and prayed this prayer for this moment, God, come down. And you might not have, somebody has. You know what I'm saying? And that doesn't mean you won't get to meet him because there's some kind of grace that comes 
as we pray for one another that we don't always deserve. But maybe you've been at a, maybe the service where you got saved. You didn't pray, God, I want to get saved at that service. Somebody else prayed, Lord, would you save somebody? And you went there and you gave your heart to Christ. And so there's benefit in that. Okay, so we need to be strengthened in the presence of the Lord. Notice this next line. Uh, and before I go there, we need to be strengthened in the presence of the Lord by seeking God's presence and going to experience His presence. We need to be strengthened for what we're facing when we leave here because there is a challenge that's there as well. Next line, verse 5b, in whose heart, blessed are those whose heart, in, in whose hearts are the road to Zion. Um, the NIV has something like this, who desire uh, your presence or desire the holy place, something like that. The road to Zion is in your heart. I think this is this is directional. It's talking about desire. It's talking about affection compelling us to an object. Do you, do you know what I mean by that? We have affections in our lives. All of us do. Some of them are right and some of them are wrong. Affections are the things that we love, the things that we crave in life. Some people, their highest affection is they need praise from other people. Some people, their highest affection is their own pleasure. Like, I'm seeking this. Um, and some people's highest affection is they want to experience more of God. They want to know God. They, he is their affection. Okay? So he would be the object of that affection. I would ask you to consider for a moment, what's the object of your affection? The primary object. I'm not talking about secondary things. There are a lot of secondary things. Like you might love God most and you still you want to have a family. You might love God most and you still want to do well at your job. Okay? Those things are matters of priority. But what's your primary affection? What's the object of that? Because I think the object of our primary affection drives us in a direction. I didn't mean for that to rhyme. But it does. It goes, it drives us in a particular direction. And if our, the object of our affection is God, that's the direction we're going to go is towards Him. The one who has this as their primary desire sets their destination toward God in all things. And I think this is what is being talked about here because there are some people that were unable to make the journey from wherever they lived in the land of Israel or uh, the lands around Israel that couldn't actually make the pilgrimage. And so in their mind, in their heart, they want to be there. Okay? You know, it was required of all men to be there. Sometimes men couldn't go for one reason or another. Okay, so, but the, the thing I think God was really after was an obedience of this kind of thing in their heart. The road to Zion was in their heart, that they longed to be there. There used to be a song by Petra back in the 80s, the road to Zion's in your heart. I think they get a little bit skewed, but I think the point here is that the direction of our life needs to be lived towards God, out of our desire for God. When that happens, God can bless a life like that. If our life is a little bit off, just a couple degrees, we start to go astray in time. So this is, this is not just Old Testament text, by the way. It says, uh, seeing in Hebrews 12 that we have such a great cloud of witnesses, let's do something. What is it? Run the race that's marked out for us. Doing something else. This is the participle phrase that helps us to show how running the race happens. Looking to Jesus Looking to Jesus. That's how we run. Looking to Jesus. We look to him. And it creates this uh, direction in our life. 
And so he says, if you want to be, if you want to be blessed, if you want to have blessing in this life, of course, we need to find our strength in the Lord. We need to have the road to Zion in our heart. In other words, that's to, to go God's direction. And then uh, verse 6 says, passing through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The early rain also covers it with blessings. We've got to hurry with this, but I want to say a few things about the valley of Baca. This, this uh, means in Hebrew, it could mean one of two things. One is that it could be the valley of weeping, or it could be the valley of balsa trees. So doesn't that help? Everybody be blessed and have your day. No, it's more than that. The, they they aren't exactly sure where this is, but there's a couple of possibilities. One is the the valley of balsa trees have these trees that they weep a resin. Okay, so when you go past there, it looks like the trees are crying. And so that's one possibility. The other is uh, the valley of Rephaim near, I think it's somewhere between Jerusalem and Bethlehem. I've not been there, but they say that there are these uh, rock walls that weep water. And so when the water drops down, it looks like weeping. And it occurred to me in this that sometimes the the road that we're on in our pursuit of God takes us through valleys of weeping. This is the most important part of this. It's not that, not that it's balsa trees or the weeping rocks or whatever. It's the imagery that's here, is that the path of pursuing God often takes us through valleys of tears. And when that's the case, how are we sustained? It may be that in those moments, there's also, uh, there's also a dry spell in our life, and we might find, as it, it says here, that as they go through, that there are springs and there are early rains that cover it with blessings. So it might be a trying place, but God makes provision within those places. I think that's the point here, that there will be valleys like this on your pilgrimage the promised land and one of the challenges uh, one of the challenges of the promised land was finding water and so he put provision in the right places it's interesting because both weeping both symbolizes the trouble but it also shows the solution because if you're looking for water you're and you're not going to drink from a resin tree obviously but if you're looking for water and you find pools like it's described here the pools are not rich rivers flowing rapidly do you understand that that what God has provided is enough for them for that day. It's to sustain them in the journey through that. And I know that God gives abundantly and he can give richly. There are other times where he gives us just enough to sustain us. Like you can't store it up. You can't store up the provision. Like the manna, remember? With the manna, the only time they could store it up was on uh, Friday when they gathered it. They needed to store up enough for the Sabbath. Otherwise, it spoiled overnight, so they had to go get their daily bread to get through. He was teaching them to rely upon him for daily provision and not to hoard up and say, look at all what I've got. Okay, We need him daily. And I think here's a message for us as we're walking through these dry spells in our life or these difficult times is that we don't just, we do rely upon yesterday's experience to encourage us, but we can't rely upon yesterday's encounter to empower us. We need to have a fresh encounter with God today. Okay, So they're moving through these things. And so it makes a good picture for us of the Christian life. Uh, they go, and then verse 7 shows us that they go from strength to strength. If we apply our image here of stronghold to stronghold, maybe we can see a picture of that. Look at what it says once again, verse 7. 
they go from strength to strength. Every one of them appears before God in Zion. So as they're traveling this road, looking for the presence of God, they go from strength to strength. When you leave your house, <laughs> remember, I think it's in Lord of the Rings where where Frodo says, not Frodo, but uh, Samwise says to Frodo, it's a dangerous thing to step outside your door. You know, it's a dangerous thing when we go out on journeys. And we see this in some of the other Psalms. Um, Psalm 121, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will guard us by day, by night. You know, and one of the concerns as you went through the mountains, highwaymen, you could get killed. You could get robbed. You could get beat up and left for dead. It was probably through those very hills Jesus had walked. And when it came time to tell a story about a good Samaritan, he remembered that place. He said a certain man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho or vice versa. And he fell among thieves, highwaymen. And he got beat up. This is the same kind of thing that we're talking about. There's danger in the travels. But God is our refuge, strength to strength. Do you see this? The fortitude goes with us from citadel to citadel. The, one of the things that they say this uh, Hebrew word might represent is uh, ramparts. You know, places where there is um, fortitude built up. It goes from strength to strength. And every one of them appears before God in Zion. What a great promise for us is that if you're seeking the Lord, then he can bring us safely to his heavenly kingdom. He can bring us safely into his presence. He knows how to get us there. And so I'm challenging us today with these thoughts from Psalm 84. But as I do, I feel my limitation. And I, often this is the case is that I can tell you what the Bible says. I can tell you where we ought to be. I can't inspire. I've never been a cheerleader. I can't inspire you to do this. I can't make you want this. Do you know what I mean? That's something that needs to happen in every one of us where we see the beauty of God. I can t- describe what he's like. The Bible says that we have to taste and see that the Lord is good. There's something that comes from personal experience. And certainly we can go out there and make people thirsty to take a drink, right? Hungry for the things of God by the way that we live. But really when it comes down to you, I can tell you what we should be. But these words really fall dead if we have no desire for God. If we've limited our intake, if we've got the door only cracked open a little bit, if we're trying to eat through a funnel, we can't really get what God's trying to do in this moment. All that I can give is a description of the godly life. This psalm describes something that's happened before. And this moment in God's presence uh, changed appetites. And you can see this there in these first four verses. How lovely is your dwelling place? In the last um, oh, five verses there, it says better to, to, uh, to be in the house of the Lord than to dwell in the tents of wicked or to live anywhere else. Better is one day in your courts, verse 10, than a thousand elsewhere. That sounds like a song, doesn't it? And if you know the presence of God, you know this is true. You know that it's hard to turn away after having experienced the presence of God. There's nothing else like it in all the world. And I can tell you that, but will you receive it? And the the question is, the Spirit speaking to you today, will you open up your heart to him? Will you allow him to fill it? Will you allow him to come in? Will you go along with his requirements? 
because oftentimes the reason we haven't pursued God is because we have a something else in his place. And we have a name for that. It's called idolatry. If we have an idol in the place of God, something prior to that, we have to repent of that, turn away from it, turn to him, and say to the Lord, forgive me for putting anything else in your place. I was made for you. Stand with me if you would. Sons of Korah, they didn't let their past stand in the way of the future. Father, thank you for a word today uh, from the Bible that challenges us. And I pray that you'd apply it to our heart. Help us to know the strength there is in God as we set out our lives in a direction, Lord. We love that you've promised that there's blessings and good things whose heart is uh, for those whose heart is set on you. And maybe as we're wandering around, we need to be reminded of the direction of our lives. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here who's, you, you've been the pursuit of their life, but something, some distraction, some difficulty, some valley has caused them to begin to wonder. I pray, Lord, that they would set their affections upon you once again. Maybe someone here has limited your access to them by keeping the door mostly closed. I pray, Lord, that you'd move upon hearts today to to trust you enough to open the door wide and give you full access. Pray, Jesus, for that. Lord, you want to do that. And, Lord, maybe there are some here that the valley of weeping has become so difficult, so tough, that it's been hard to see you through tears. Lord, would you meet would you meet a person like that today as they call upon you? Show them that you care, show them that you're there, show them that your strength is available and that you love them and that you have an answer. God, I pray for that. And Lord, maybe there are some there that they're just wondering if you're gonna come through. I pray, Jesus, you show them that you will. And for those who are fearful, Lord. Show them you're a stronghold, I pray. Apply this message to our life, we pray in Jesus' name. If you've never if you've never welcomed Jesus into your life, I would encourage you today to, to do this simple thing. Just turn to the Lord and say, be merciful. If I turn to him, I just mean call out to him in your words. Say, be merciful to me. If you're anything like what's been described today, you must be good. You must be worth the cost of turning to you with all of a heart, worth the risk of letting you really in. Stir us, we pray, Lord. Let your presence come down and meet us in this place. Thank you for joining us today. If this ministry has impacted you, we would love to hear about it. You're welcome to message us at akmaranatha.com forward slash contact or message us on Facebook at Maranatha Full Gospel Fellowship. We pray you are blessed by the message and have a wonderful week.